Well, it is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's good to see so many of you brave the elements to come out. And I want to, at this time, uh, just welcome our Wilmington campus who's joining us uh, via the television or through the satellite or whatever is going on to get our image from here down there. Uh, it's, it's different to be here and having a chance to preach, knowing that I'm getting a chance to preach to the congregation I'm with every single week. Um, and it's good also to be here to see the other side, those of you that, uh, that worship up here on a weekly basis. Um, but I'm uh, excited. I want to tell you just a little bit about what God is doing down in the city of Wilmington. God's at work, and we're very excited about that. I want to share with you a quick story uh, that kind of typifies just what God does uh, every Sunday morning down in, in Wilmington. Now, this story doesn't take place actually on uh, Sunday morning. It was during our Christmas Eve service. Uh, during Christmas Eve, we had uh, a, a candlelight service, just as, as much as we had one up here. But our campus, um, as I was getting ready and prepared for that service, uh, I was calling around trying to find people to do different reading parts uh, as we were walking through the service. And it seemed as though everyone was going to be out of town. And so I was struggling and was praying, oh God, please allow there to be readers. And uh, sure enough, God provided enough readers. And as uh, we got ready close to the beginning of the service, it was about... 5.55 and we had about five people there at the service. I'm like, well, this would be a quaint, nice little service and it'll be a good time and a nice fellowship. It'll be very intimate. Within that next five minutes, 45 people showed up and we had plenty of readers and, and plenty of, of people there to worship the Lord together and to participate and share in such a sweet service. But I want to share with you a story about uh, that time. See, this is what God does. Uh, so there were these two guys that woke up Christmas Eve morning somewhere up near Newark, uh, New Jersey, or Newark, right? It sounds different, Newark. New, I can never get them right. Just that's that place up there in New Jersey outside of New York City. And they, got, they woke up that morning and they decided, hey, let's get on our bikes and let's drive on down or ride on down to Baltimore. Now, I don't know why anyone would want to go from all the way up there all the way to Baltimore. So that was their plan. We're going to do this. And so it just so happens they get on their bikes and they're following their, their Google Maps on their, their phones. And just about the same time that our service started, their bikes and their path happened to come across the coffee shop. Now they see the light is on in the coffee shop and they decide to come on in and ride their bikes in and they're like, hey, what's going on in here? We'd like some coffee. And we're like, hey, welcome. Come be a part of our Christmas Eve service. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. This is really cool. So they grabbed a cup of hot chocolate and they sat down and they participated in the worship service with us. And then they left and went on their way. I don't know if they ever made it, but that's the kind of thing that God is doing down in the city. Now, I pray that they made it. I don't know if they did, but, um, but anyways, so that, that's the kind of people that God is just drawing. It's amazing just to see because we have an open door on a Sunday morning in a place where there are people that God draws them in. And some people don't even know why they're coming in. They're coming in for a cup of coffee or some are just coming in because it's an open door, but they come and many people come in and they end up coming back. And uh, that's just an amazing thing. So if you're in Wilmington this morning and you just happen to walk in because of a cup of coffee, you're there for a reason. And so if, even if you're here in this place, if you wandered in in some way, you've tried to get out of the ice, you're here for a reason. And for that, we're thankful that God um, always uses life's experiences to draw us closer to him. Now, this morning... Uh, I want to draw your attention to the book of 2 Peter. So if you've got a Bible, love for you to take it out and turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. 
I would like to read our passage today as we look at 2 Peter, beginning in chapter 1, in verse 3. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forever lacks these qualities is so near side that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be, rich, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have not left us here on our own, but you have revealed yourself to us through your word and more, more plainly through your Son. Father, today as we are here under the teaching of your word, may you open our eyes to see the beauty of your word. May you open our ears to hear the truth of your word. May you open our hearts to feel the transformation of your word. God, help us to be reminded today that we are needy people. That though... In this world, we're told and we're shown that we live our lives based on our own abilities and our own resources. Father, help us to be reminded that everything that we have and all that we are comes from you. So, Father, in these next few moments, we pray that your word would speak and that we would hear, that we would listen, and that we would be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is the time of year when we gather together or you get alone by yourself and you maybe take a time to do an inventory of your life or you do an inventory of of the past year. Sometimes we look back at the past year and sometimes we see some things about that year that maybe uh, weren't so ex- we weren't so excited about. Maybe we, we packed on a couple extra pounds. Maybe we spent a little more money than we should have. Maybe we did something that we, we didn't really desire to do. And so it's a time in which we look back, but it's also a time where we become resolute to make changes in the coming year. Now, I don't know it's, if, if many of you or if you yourself have taken this time to, to walk through and do maybe a spiritual inventory where you begin to look at your spiritual life in Christ and you look to see how you're doing. I pray that you have and I pray that, that God has already shown you some things. But if you haven't, I, I pray today would be a time for us to, to look a little more introspectively into where we're at in our walk with the Lord, how close we may be in walking with the Lord. 
One question you may ask yourself during a time of spiritual inventory is, how clearly have I heard and how willingly have I been to obey the word of God? How clearly have I heard the word of God and how quickly or how easily have I obeyed the word of God? Maybe if you're looking back over the year 2000, maybe the volume of your life was turned up so loud that you found yourself struggling to connect with God. Maybe the activities and just the the ebb and flow of your life were just so loud that you found it hard to connect with God. Maybe there were changes in your life over this past year that, that you saw that were good changes, But in living in those changes, you found them to to allow there to be maybe a barrier between you and the Lord. Maybe this past year you got married, or maybe this year was the year that you were preparing to be married. Maybe this year uh, you and your family had a baby. Maybe your family this year moved to to a new house, to a new city. Maybe you had a job that changed, or maybe your health began to give you some problems this year. Or maybe you had to walk through the death of a loved one. This year. You see, there are circumstances in life that we all endure, that we all walk through. And sometimes we allow the circumstances of our life to become noise, or we allow it to become interference between our relationship with God. Now, the reality of all of that is the circumstances that we walk through are not the problem in and of themselves. There's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with a baby. There's nothing wrong with moving. There's nothing wrong with getting a new job. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. Those are not the problem in our relationship with the Lord. Our problems come when we allow what God has directed into our lives, the good and the challenging, when we allow those things to become interference, or we allow them to become noise, when we allow those things to compete with the voice of God in our lives. Let me explain or give you a real life example. I remember back to the time when, when Sarah and I were married and we were so excited about having our firstborn. When we got the news, we were very, very excited about it. We're like, man, this is going to change everything. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. She's going to be the sweetest baby. And she's going to be just like Jesus was, laying in that manger with no crying he makes, right? So I thought, man, this is going to be great. It's going to draw us so much closer to the Lord and all of this. And then Kara showed up. She was a wonderful bundle of beauty and joy. And my heart was beating and my life was... I was just so excited about this life with this new child and being able to share it with my wife. And then I realized that there comes with a child a lot of responsibility. Like a lot of sleepless nights, like being awakened at 2 o'clock in the morning and then 3 o'clock in the morning and then 3.30 and then 4 and at 4.30. And what I realized after uh, just a very short time in Karis' life, I realized that the demands of a being a parent weighed so heavily on me that I was running after the demands of being a parent and I had neglected my connecting with the Lord. Now you look at that and I can honestly say to you this morning that Karis was not the problem. She was the circumstance or the opportunity that God brought into our lives. But I used that, the voice of that circumstance, to drown out the voice of God. 
And it wasn't until we got to, almost came to the end of myself where there was one night, Karis was crying all night long. And I remember holding it in her in her little rocker. And I'm like, oh, baby, just shut up. <laughs> I come to the end of myself and I was just like, God, who have I become? And I remember holding her and crying out to God, God, forgive me. Help me not to allow this voice to get in the way of your voice because I cannot be for her who I need to be without you. So maybe you're in that place in life. Maybe some circumstance in your life, the volume has just been so turned up this year that you have been yearning for reconnecting with the Lord. Well, over the next few weeks, I want us to look at how do we reduce the noise in our lives so that we can cultivate intimacy with God? How do we take the opportunities that we have in life right now to dive deeper into our relationship with God? So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at how do we cultivate intimacy? How do we reduce some of the noise in our lives? And how do we walk more closely with Him? So as we jump in this morning, I want us to see that cultivating intimacy, if we hope to ever cultivate intimacy, it has to begin with relationship. You can't cultivate relationship or can't cultivate intimacy where there is no relationship, right? There's like got to be a relationship. So in a relationship, the design and the purpose of a relationship is not only to be to know the person you seek to be in relationship with, but it's also to be known by the one you hope to be in relationship with. So to know and to be known. And what takes place in in a relationship as intimacy begins to develop, as closeness begins to happen, you have two separate people that over time become one. Now in marriage, this takes place somewhere during the, the wonderful, beautiful marriage ceremony. I don't know when it happens, But I do know that in the process of a man and woman becoming married, somewhere God miraculously, powerfully comes in and makes those two people one. And then they live their lifetime, not only in that moment becoming one, but they live their lifetime from that moment until death do them part, becoming one. It's much the same way in our relationship with the Lord. There's a moment in which we come to know the Lord. There's a moment in which our life goes from placing faith in ourselves, in our works, in our world, to placing our faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. There's a moment in which we come to know God. And in that moment, we become one with God. But then as believers, we live our lives continuing to grow in that oneness so that as time goes by, we look less and less like our old selves and we look more and more like the face of Christ. And that process continues until we are in heaven. So I want you to see this morning from the passage that we're looking at in 2 Peter, the first thing I want us to see is that it is possible to have an intimate relationship with the God that created the universe. Like that should rest in your mind, in your heart this morning as a big whoa. Like the God of the universe, I can personally have a relationship with the God of the universe. Doesn't that blow your mind? 
Like he's not someone that's far off. He's not just someone that did something and left us here. No, he's a God that is personal. He's a God that wants us to walk deeply with us. And this is what we see in 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, right off the bat. The first thing we see is that God has granted us unlimited access into a relationship. Isn't that amazing? Like my kids are, are just now started getting into these video games online where you get a free portion of like Animal Jam or uh, Club Penguin. Like you can go and you can get on Club Penguin and you can go and play in your little penguin world. But there's certain things you can't do unless you have the unlimited access card, which costs like $19.99 a month or something like that. If you, have 19, if you spend $19.99 a month, you can have unlimited access to Club Penguin, all of the, the trophies and all of the benefits and all that other stuff. But you have to pay a price. Now, that's pretty cool, but it's frustrating as you're playing the game Club Penguin. And I have a little bit of experience playing Club Penguin. <laughs> It's frustrating when you're playing a game and you see this item that you want, but you just can't have it because you're not willing to spend $19.99 a month to go and get that. So you're like, okay. So you can see the frustration in in that when you have access is denied. But we see here that God has granted us unlimited access into a relationship. Look at me in verse three. His divine Power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. The reality of that passage is at the moment of salvation, at the moment where we place our faith in Christ, God's divine power. Now, this divine power, the power that made the universe, the power that was able to speak and planets came out, that power comes into our life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Like, you should be saying that this morning. I don't see everyone going like, whoa. Whoa. The power of, the, of, the power of God, the one that made the universe, comes into our lives And gives us total access to God and a godly life. Like, do you guys see that word halfway through verse three called all? Like, do you know what that means? Like, I did the Greek background this week. Like, that was the word I honed in. I was like, what does that mean in Greek? And guess what? After this exhausted hour and a half search of the word all, guess what I found out what all means? (laughs) All. It means every, all, every aspect, everything you could ever hope for or imagine. That's what this all means. So at the moment of salvation, at that moment we placed our faith in Christ, this all of this power, all of this excitement, all of God moves into our lives. That's overwhelming. And it moves into our lives so that we might live a godly life. Not so that we live like we used to be, but so that we live like a life that is found in Christ. We live a godly life. Now, a godly life is something in which there's two parts to a godly, part, a godly life. One, there's an attitude in our life that we take on, an attitude of reverence where we fear the Lord. We understand what it means to fear the Lord. We know that there is a God. We know that we are not him. We know that he is sovereign. We know that he is in control. We know that he's all powerful. So there's a certain reverence to that. 
But then there's another aspect to living a godly life, and that's the act of obedience. Where we live in active obedience to what our king, what our, what our ruler, what our Lord tells us to do. And we do it in joy. Because Christ has come so that we may have life and we might have it abundantly. So the godly life is, an, is a life that is lived with an attitude of reverence, lived in an active obedience, a life that is marked by joy. So you look at your own life and you're like, okay, that's not my life. Especially not in 2013. My life was not marked by a life of reverence, a life of obedience and a life of joy. Do you know my life in 2013? My 2013 was horrible. Not mine, but you may be saying that to yourself. My life in 2013 was horrible. Everything fell apart. I lost my job. I lost my wife. I lost everything. Now, God was gracious and I didn't do any of that. But then you must ask yourself, well, how is it possible that I live this godly life? Like, how is it possible in this world? Do you know my circumstances? Do you know what I have to live with daily? Well, how do we do this? We see it right there in that passage. We live this life in godliness through the knowledge of him. Like to live a godly life, you don't need new circumstances. You don't need a new job. You don't need a new wife or a new spouse or a new husband. You don't need new kids. Like you don't need all of that stuff. People think in their mind, man, if I, if I just can get on vacation, I'll be able to connect with the Lord. That's where the Lord and I are going to connect. Like you don't need different circumstances. What Peter is telling us here is what you need to live a godly life is you need to know God. That's it. Now this knowledge of God that we are to have an understanding about or this knowledge of God that we're speaking to deep, to dive ourselves into, this knowledge of God is both intellectual and it's relational. It's not one or, but it's both and. We, our knowledge of God must continue to increase intellectually. We must continue to know the heart of God. We must continue to know God and what he says. But then we also must need to continue to allow God to grow in our relation with him. So not only do we seek to know God more, we must seek to allow ourselves to be known by God more. And what that means is day by day, more by more, we open up more of ourselves and say, Lord, inspect me, look inside of me, see my heart, see my motives, see my fears. Take all of those things that are not of you and remove them from my life. I don't wanna hide anything from you. So we know God both intellectually and relationally. And this knowledge of God comes at a moment, but it also comes through a lifestyle. Comes at the moment, the moment of salvation, we come to know God, but we also continue to live out this knowing as we grow and deepen with him. So we have this unlimited access and God wants us to grow in godliness. And we can see through verses five through 11 that God expects us to grow in godliness. If you are a believer, it is an expectation that God has placed on your life that you grow in godliness. Just as much as you have an expectation that you plant a seed in the ground, you give it water, you give it light, you expect that seed to grow. The same thing is true about our walk with the Lord. God expects us to grow. Look with me in verses five and following. 
For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So there's an expectation that God has on his children that they grow in godliness. And that expectation is not an overbearing expectation because why? He has granted us access to him. He's given us everything that we need to grow in this godliness. So it should be an expectation for us to do that because he's given us the access. And so we see that our faith grows into virtue, which grows into knowledge, which grows into self-control, which grows into steadfastness, which grows into godliness, which grows into love. We see there that Peter says these things should be increasing. In 2013, you had a certain set of ways that you grew in godliness. 2014, there should be more of that. So you should ever be increasing more and more on this path towards godliness. They should be more increasing so that you can become more fruitful and more useful. Then he gives us this warning. If these things are not increasing in your life, you you have become blind. You have forgotten that you've been saved. So let these, just for a moment, these few words, faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Like let that be the rubric that you place over your life just for a moment. And you ask yourself the question, did those attributes show up in my life in 2013? Was my life marked by those or was my life marked by other things? Was 2013 the year where I exhibited lack of faith? Or was 2013 the year where I worried? Or was 2013 the year that I embraced fear? Or was 2013 the year that I embraced a new addiction? If you place that rubric over your life and you you realize that you don't measure up, you can be sure that you stepped out of pursuing the knowledge of God. See, the Christian life is not complicated. Christian life is challenging, but the Christian life is not complicated. What we feel as complication in the Christian life is really no more than the noise of life we've allowed to turn up too loud. That's it. I can remember when I was in the time of my life and I'd come, come through, through, through these seasons in my life where I've allowed personally the, the noise of life to be cranked up so much so that I felt so disconnected from God. I couldn't hear from the Lord. I didn't know which way he wanted me to go. And there were times in my life where that has just been overwhelming and that I have to come back to this place of simplicity. And I'll, I'll share the first one with you. 
There was a time when I was seeking to honor the Lord and I was getting ready to graduate from college and I was worried about being married. I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family. I knew the Lord was calling me into ministry and I had all these questions. I'm like, Lord, this is my life. Like, I know you have a plan for it. I know you have a purpose for it. And I want to know what this plan is because I want to follow you. I want to be obedient in that. So all of my heart's desires were pure and right in the right place. But I was asking all of these questions in such a way that I was so confused that I couldn't hear from the Lord and I was frustrated. So finally, I said, God, here's all of this stuff. I know it's all good, but I don't want to deal with it anymore. So God, speak to me, speak to me. And from the depths of my being, I ran to the word of God and I came to Matthew 6, 33. The words of Jesus rested on my heart in that moment and just melted me. This is what Matthew 6, 33 says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It made everything that was so complicated so simple. Like I did another Greek study. You see the word all there? Another hour and a half. God, what does this word mean? Studying, finding the same thing. Guess what all means in that passage? It literally means all. It's the simplicity of life is seek him first and all things will be added. Now, the simplicity of our life, and this is, if you're taking notes, this is one of the things you need to write down. The simple simplicity or to simplify our lives with a singular purpose. If you're in the place where the noise of your life is so loud and you're having a hard time seeking the Lord, simplify your life with a singular pursuit. And then write down Matthew 6, 33. Our lives are full of voices. All of these voices that we hear in our lives lead us to anxiety. And Jesus here is teaching Matthew 6, 33 during the, his Sermon on the Mount. And he takes time to talk about anxiety. And he says, what you fear will drive you. What you're most afraid of will cause you to reorient and restructure your life around what you fear so that you can make sure what you fear doesn't happen. And by doing that, what you're literally doing is you are killing yourself. And so Jesus here talks about fear and he talks about anxiety. And he he uses three big things that most people fear about. He says, don't worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, and what you will wear. Now, Jesus very simply in Matthew chapter six says, don't worry about your basic necessities. For we're taught, if you're a Boy Scout or anything, if if you're found out in the wilderness to be all alone, what are you supposed to do? Water and shelter, right? Water and shelter and food. You need food, water, shelter. Those are the three things you need. Well, Jesus says, if you're following me, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Because all things will be added if you seek me first. You don't have to worry about what you wear. You don't have to worry about where you eat. You don't have to worry about all those things. And he gives us examples. Just look at nature. Look at how he takes care of the grass. Look at how he takes care of the birds. God is one that will care for us. So instead of living like those that don't know God, that's how people that don't know God live is what what Jesus is saying. We need to live our lives knowing that our needs will be met and he will care for us. Did you know that anxiety is the absence of faith? 
Anxiety is the place in which we deny the power of God. We walk through an area or a circumstance of our life and we say, God, this is too big for you. So instead of giving it to you, I'm gonna keep it to myself and I'm gonna become anxious over this. I'm gonna fear this and I'm gonna shut you out. But in reality, how did we enter into our relationship with the Lord? How did we enter into it? It begins with faith. It continues through faith. At no part in our lives and our walk with the Lord can we abandon faith. Faith is what we're supposed to live in. And we live, as Jesus tells us, to seek first the kingdom of God. Really, the reality of that is that we are to to seek to live in obedience to his rule and to his reign. His kingdom kingdom is his where he is the ultimate ruler he is the ultimate one that that reigns and we live simply by making him first allowing ourselves to surrender to his rule but then helping carrying out his mission that he's given us so we can serve god as a warrior, or we can serve God as a warrior. A warrior looks at the gifts that God has given them and then also looks at the circumstances that they're faced with and they think, they think to themselves that success in the circumstances or over the circumstances is left up to them. The warrior, on the other hand, is one that continually seeks the kingdom of God, one that continually seeks the personal kingdom of God and the missional kingdom of God and continues to give themselves more and more away to this kingdom, continually to to show and give more of their heart, more of their life, and continue to carry out the mission of the kingdom. Let me give you two quick examples of those that I've encountered in my life. Example of a warrior. There's a couple that I met that I knew that I worked with in ministry. And they were blessed with, with kids. And they loved their kids. And the Lord had just blessed them with those great circumstances and those great kids. And as they began to live their life, they began to look at the, their kids' life. They cared for their kids. They cared for their kids' future. They began to worry about their kids' future. And they began to think to themselves, well, if our kids are going to have a future, they have to go off to college. Well, who's going to pay for this college? They began to look at their finances and they realized they didn't have the finances to care for their kids to provide for college. So they began to worry. They began to fear. And so what they did is they moved, they moved them into trying to get their kids involved in sports. They said, we're going to get our kids involved in sports because through sports, they'll have an opportunity to get a scholarship so they can go to college, so they can have a better life, a nice family, nice cars, nice homes. We'll do all of that stuff. We will surrender and sacrifice all of our lives so that they can do this sports thing. And so what they did slowly over time is they gave more of their life over to the success of their kids through sports. And what they realized is that their children had special gifts and talents in the sport of soccer. And they were very excited about this. And so they, they loved taking their kids to soccer. And what happened over time is they became 
so enthralled with the life of soccer that it ruled their life. They were spending all of their extra money traveling to all of these sporting events all over the country, trying to get their kids in the Olympic development, soccer league, and all of this other stuff. And so they were continuing to do all of this life, all of this traveling, and they were missing church. They were missing their connecting with their their Christian friends, and they were just living this life. And it wasn't until their oldest daughter was getting ready to go off to college and she had received a scholarship. It wasn't until that moment that the Lord's voice began. He just broke in. He says, okay, I'm gonna squelch all this noise and you're gonna hear me. And he spoke to them and said, you have wasted everything. They realized that all of what they had done was based in fear and anxiety. And though the Lord still stepped in and and still used his, his love to redeem that process, this family realized that they had messed it all up. I want you to see that there's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with preparing. But if success is dependent upon you, then you failed. We must live our lives leaving room for God to intercede and interject so that he can be God. Let me give you another example of a warrior, or a warrior, not a warrior. Another couple finds out that they're, they are with child and they seek to honor the Lord with that child's life. So they pray for that child every day. They look at their finances, they look at who they are and they know they don't have much to provide or to offer their child. And so they pray and they trust and they pray and they trust and they allow their child to get in to figure out what, what gifts and talents and abilities they have. So they, with, with all their resources, they, they seek to surrender and, and struggle to get this child and they realize at a very young age, this child has the ability to swim very fast. And so through just life, they begin praying and continue to pray, asking God, God, please help us. We know that this is a gift that you've given this child. Please allow this this gift to be used for your glory. And what they did is they would go and they traveled to different meets. The Lord always provided for their needs. The Lord always made sure they had enough money for the hotels. God always made sure that they had enough money for the entry fees. Always made sure they had the money for the swimming suits. And God provided and God provided and God provided. And God used those opportunities for this family to meet other families as they're traveling. And they use those as opportunities to build relationships with them so that they would come to know God. And through their ministry, many, many people came to know Christ because of their traveling ministry of the swimming team. And just four weeks ago, this young lady is getting ready to graduate and she found out that she has signed her paperwork, that she has a full ride, all expenses paid to go to college in swimming. Now, which one do you think honors the Lord the most? Like from the outside, both of those may look the same in church life. They may look the same, but in the reality, one of them is trusting in the Lord, seeking the Lord first, and one of them is, is not. One more example of a warrior and a warrior when it comes to the idea of, of marriage and singleness. A warrior is someone that looks at their life and all their friends begin to get married and they begin to look at them like, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I get married? I become more unsettled in my singleness. That's a warrior. A warrior is one that embraces the singleness, those times that are single because you have a singular focus and you can focus squarely on the Lord. So those of you that are in the place of singleness, don't worry, but become a warrior. Like use this time to seek the Lord with your whole heart because you have nothing else getting in the, 
getting in the way. Our lives may be complicated, but I encourage you as an application of this sermon, as we begin moving into finding out more ways to draw deeper with the Lord, the first thing we must do is we have to take inventory of our life. So I encourage you either this afternoon or sometime this week, get alone with God and spend time doing an inventory of your life. Look at all of the things on your, in your life that you have to do. Like make a list of this is my have to do list on a daily basis. These are the things that I have to do. Then go through, through the, your time with the Lord, ask yourselves as you go through each one of those, which one of these that I do, am I doing them out of fear? Which one of these things that I'm doing, do I do them out of fear? Or conversely, ask yourself as you're walking through these, is this thing that I do or this thing that I have to do, does it lead me to holiness? Does it lead me closer to the Lord? Or does it help me advance the kingdom of God? If it does those two things, then that's probably a good thing and it should stay. But if we look and we see that something is done out of fear or it doesn't lead us closer to God in godliness or it helps us carry out God's mission, then it's something that should not be a part of our life. And so you must release that to the Lord and ask God, to take it away. Simplifying our lives so that there's one solitary purpose, one solitary direction in which we're living, and that is to know God in his kingdom. And all things will be added. That's a big task. Like that's a big thing for us to do, to, to release, if you're a parent, to release your children into the hands of God. Like that's hard to do but it's, it's necessary if we want to seek to live godly lives. I'm gonna pray, and as I pray, I'm gonna ask uh, the worship teams from both campuses to go ahead and make their way to the podium or to this area. And I'm gonna pray for us. And during this time, what I want you to do is, as we will have a t- chance to sing, is I want this time, I ask you during this time, just to look inwardly. Ask God to just speak to your heart and show you the areas that are displeasing to him. Ask him to check your motives. And maybe there's some simplification of your life that just needs to happen. Just so you can continue to live the life that God has for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being God. And Father, I thank you that you have clearly and simply shown us what we need to live a life of godliness. I pray, God, now that the simplicity of the message is true, but the messiness of our hearts and the messiness of our sin makes this painful. So God, I pray that we would not be embarrassed of the pain, that we would not avoid the pain, but Father, that we in these next few moments would just open our hearts to you And begin asking you to change us once again. Simplify our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.